It was the best of times. It was the blurst of times. Craving sweet release. The only Disney villain we can endure. Say no to Frollo. Yeah. in our glasses when we clinked just then. Nothing. It was air. We were doing a safety glasses clink. Yeah, we were being right safe because you know what we what, what we actually do have some glasses of, of whiskey and, and bourbon. Um, if we'd used those, we would have been risking each other's germses, getting on each other's cupses and into our mouthses. Which is definitely not going to happen anyway because we live together. Yeah, this is like, it's completely performative. But listen, Exercise safety, benches. That's the message of this week's podcast. <laughs> and now we're done. Goodbye. Now we're done. We're not going to talk about this shiz anymore. We're here for the meat. <laughs> the meat of the podcast. <laughs> we, 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 we watched a movie. <laughs> we watched The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Disney classic. Yeah, interesting that it even exists as a Disney movie, but I guess we'll talk about that. Yeah, uh, we're going to have to. Based on a, a book written by Victor Hugo uh, of Les Mis fame. Look down, look down, don't look him in the eye. Look down, look down, you're here until you die. <laughs> I had to go up because I couldn't go lower. I know, enough. that's why I stopped. And I also was going to change the lyrics to something, to something, something pizza pie. Um, <laughs> not quite there yet. I haven't had enough alcohol to start weird alling lyrics. But mm, we'll see. We'll, we'll get, get there. there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the cursed or blurst guarantee. We always get there. Yep. <laughs> Weird Al, friend of the podcast. Uh, yeah. And my name is Weird Al. His <laughs> sister. Weird Al Galankovich. <laughs> Notre Dame. I remembered watching it as a kid and remembered really loving the animation and the songs, but it became really apparent really quickly that I think I had blocked out a lot of the plot detail from this movie due to trauma caused by the movie. Yeah, so I remembered the songs um, because I listened to the, the songs that I liked from it fairly regularly. Mm-hmm. I didn't really remember the animation because I only watched the movie from what I can recall once. And then it scared me and I didn't watch it again. Mm, yeah. Uh, so also, the trauma of watching this movie prevented me from remembering what happened in this movie. It's weird how that happens with movies because I had a very traumatic experience while watching Fox and the Hound and I fully can't remember what happens in that. Did yeah. I tell you about that? No. Oh, um, it was back when there was a ferry to Norway from the UK. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have told you about this. The ball pit. Uh, the ball, yeah, there was a ball pit. I was watching Fox and the Hound in there. It was incredibly choppy seas because the North Sea is a little bit of a bastard of a sea, mm-hmm. if you ask my opinion, mm-hmm. which you didn't, but uh, I... you heard it here first, folks. The North Sea is a bastard of a sea. The Vikings knew it. I knew it. And I was a victim of it because I was sick all over the ball pit. And I think that 
is well that's all I think about when I think about Fox and the Hound. Mm. Every time I see a fox or a hound as well, I'm like, oh god, the ball pit. The ball pit. And you know how many hounds I see every day. Daily. Daily, so many hounds. Mm-hmm. We're surrounded by them. Yeah, it's like Hound City. Mm-hmm. Our flat is actually in the middle of a very popular hunting destination. <laughs> mm-hmm. The hunting hounds just rushing past day in, day out. Yeah. We really should have planned this better. Yeah, all those hounds are getting released, like, all the time. And, mm. oh, God, every time I'm, I'm running for my life, but I'm thinking about that ball pit craving sweet release. I also don't remember the plot of Fox and the Hound, but I have no good reason for it. I remember there being a badger in it. I don't even remember the badger. I, I remember really hated the badger. That there's a fox and a hound, and that is the sum total of my memory. Yeah, that's true. There's a fox, there's a hound. The hound is sent to assassinate the fox by a fox hunt. And there's a badger. <laughs> the fox and the hound grow up together, and then there's a fox hunt, and the hound catches the fox that he grew up with. Am I how, making that up? Neither of us is, will know. How is that dissimilar to what I just said? When I said the fox is sent to assassinate the <laughs> note the other way around. Maybe we should watch this with Cursed or Blurst. Yeah. Assassination is a political hit, I don't think. And what is fox hunting if not inherently political, Shannon? That's true. Listen, if any of you if any of you in this I'm not I don't give a shit anymore. If you listen to this podcast and you go fox hunting, if you partake in that clownery, get get bent. Stop listening. We're not a pro fox hunting podcast. No. Hunt something else instead. Like morals, hunt good morals and nurture them in your soul. <laughs> hunt back of Notre Dame. Do you know anything really substantially about the the book? I don't know very much. No, I haven't read it. Um, I think the book is called Notre Dame de Paris, which is Notre Dame of Paris. Mm-hmm. I've not really encountered the book in any way other than the Disney movie. No, but this movie did make me very curious to read the book because there's bits of it that... You can almost see as like holdovers from an adult novel, yeah. and then there's there's little oddities to it that I think we'll get to later. Like the the you mentioned when we were watching it that the movie doesn't seem to know who the narrator is, and I almost wonder if that's from the book having multiple yeah. narrators. Yeah, and anyone who's read a Victor Hugo novel knows that they're lengthy. Is it as lengthy as Lena's? No, I don't think so. Okay, I don't know why I say that with such confidence. No, sometimes you just feel something in your bones. I went to the Victor Hugo Museum when I was in Paris and oh gleaned very little information from it. Oh no. Because um, I was there with my dear friend Hannah, who loves Victor Hugo, and I was there for her. Uh, it was free, though, and it was kind of fun. There was lots of little paintings and things up that Victor yeah. Hugo had done. Uh, it, was like, it was his house that had been converted into the museum, which was quite neat. And now it's empty. Empty chairs and empty tables. <laughs> empty toilets and drawers. <laughs> In this house lived Victor Hugo. Then he died. He's there no more. <laughs> That's a song from Lemus. <laughs> Do you have any encounters with the book? Um, no. No, I only have encounters with Les Mis. I was in like the kids' version of Les Mis when that when my theatre company did that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was a nun. I've seen Les Mis live a couple times. I've seen the the film. I've read excerpts from the book for various classes. Not mm-hmm. the whole thing though. But not the Hunchback of Notre Dame because that in my mind is a Disney movie. 
mm-hmm. before it is a Victor Hugo book. I agree. Why did Disney choose to do this? It's an excellent question because I think the main thing that jumps out in this movie is that it really is trying hard to be a kid's movie, <gasps> but keeps failing and then having to reel it back. Mm-hmm. So it'll get like incredibly dark and then have a weird moment of slapstick comedy. Yeah. Um, as though that, like, they cancel each other out instead of just being, like, a, like a wildly swinging pendulum as to what the target audience is. <laughs> yeah. I was just talking to my mum on the phone, and I was asking her opinion about why Disney may have chosen to do Hunchback. And she said, oh, I think it's just because they wanted to do those gargoyles. They wanted an excuse to do the gargoyles. There's these comedy gargoyles. Called Victor and Hugo. And Laverne. Oh yeah, why is the one called Laverne? I don't know. I don't like her because they've animated her to have saggy stone boobs. Yeah. And she's a gargoyle. Yeah. That's unnecessary. Yeah. The other gargoyles don't even look like humans. No. But she just looks like an old lady with saggy boobs and some Mm. horns, I think. Yeah. And they're comic relief. And I hate them. They're awful. They don't serve any function in the plot other than to be comic relief. They don't do anything. They don't spur anyone to action, really. Like, Quasimodo goes to them for advice sometimes, but they don't actually tell him anything substantial or useful. He comes to all his decisions by himself. So they feel like they purely exist to make this seem like a kid's film. But the result of that... It's like in Les Mis, if they had Jean Valjean have, like, a quirky, I don't know, rat friend, a quirky little animated rat. Yeah. It was like, hey, Jean Valjean, I've got a good idea. How about we stop stealing bread from now on? This is a pen of the ass. Because it's France. Friends, and that's the sort of joke they'd make. <laughs> that's exactly right, but then you change nothing about the plot of Les Mis. Yeah. And like, we've added this cartoon rat, it's a kid's movie now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jean Valjean goes to see the dying Fontaine, and she's, you know, like, at death's door, and the rat's <laughs> like, whoa, that broad looks kind of perky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The plot of Hunchback of Notre Dame. I've been nervous. I feel like, like I don't know, I've personally been stalling on this part of the podcast. Me too. I was, uh, <laughs> was I astral projecting or was I just, again, so shocked that I couldn't really register true plot beats? I think we were moving from horror to horror. Yep. Uh, so the bit, the, the bits that I remembered from before we watched this yesterday are the same bits I clearly remember now. And those are the bits that are, I think, the best songs. Um, the opening where there's Frollo, the villain of Yolo. the piece. It, he takes the ring to Mordor. Um, <laughs> um, he chases down a couple to... Is he trying to run them out of the city? I can't really remember what he's doing. He... Yeah, I just think he wants him out of Paris. Uh, and they've got Maya a... being dead. Yeah, they've got a baby with them. Um, and he catches up with them on the steps of Notre Dame and takes the baby uh, and threatens to drown the baby in a well. Yeah. 
which is right at the beginning of the movie. Right he, at the beginning. Dangles him by his foot. Over the well. It's not just he says, I'll drown this baby. You see it. He holds the baby over the well, and then the priest, or he, may, he looks a bit more like a monk, I guess, Yeah. from Notre Dame comes out and stops him, and Frollo suddenly has a moment of fear for his immortal soul and says that like he'll raise the child. Yes. Um, but the child is quote-unquote deformed, so he's names the child Quasimodo, which means half-formed. Which is so mean. Is super mean. It's so mean, you guys. And that just sets the scene for more mean things that are yet to come. Frollo's the villain, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> and you know what? Spoiler, spoiler alert. This is not a villain that we endorse. No, this is our this... first villain we don't endorse. And we've had Rasputin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> podcast villain that we just say, say no to Frollo. Yeah. Frollo <laughs> no. We couldn't get on board with him. Uh, yeah, so he leaves Quasimodo to be raised in the bell tower of Notre Dame. But uh, it's okay because he's not alone because because of the gargoyles. Gargoyles. Um, his only friends. But that's sort of like the prologue almost and then it skips quite a bit of time. Quasimodo is now an adult or almost an adult. It's hard to tell how old yeah. he is. They don't give a strong indication of the passage of time. Let's just say he's anywhere 19. from nineteen to twenty-six. Yeah, he's youngish. Yeah, yeah. So then we we cut to Quasimodo as a, a young adult, ringing the bells and expressing his desire to be out there amongst the people of Paris. He wants to go where the people are. He wants to see wants to see him dancing. He also wants to go the distance to find where he belongs. Yeah. The music in this film is written by Alan Menken, who writes who wrote Hercules, who wrote Little Mermaid, um, many, many, many Disney films. Beautiful music. Yeah. Um, you can very much see the family resemblance between I think it's particularly noticeable in Out There. Yeah. Um, the last line of Out There and Go the Distance is the exact same, like, line. It's the same melody. I can't quite remember the words from Out There, but in, um... It's, um... In, I think in Go the Distance, it's to find where I belong. Mm-hmm. And in Hunchback, it, it's it's very similar. I really oh, hate it's, this church. It's just to stay one day out there. That's it. It's the same melody. It's the same. <laughs> We've done it again. We've cracked another conspiracy of, of the same melodies being used in stuff <laughs> in, this here, in this here podcast. So yeah, he, he wants to go to the Festival of Fools that takes place every year in front of the Notre Dame. Um, and it's a crazy, zany festival that looks quite great fun, but he has been, one could say he's self-isolating, um, on Frollo's orders up in the bell tower. Yeah. He's forbidden. But the uh, Festival of Fools, this is historically a real thing. Is it? Yeah, where um, the social roles of a community were turned upside down. So the song is called Topsy Turvy. Um, where, like, low class dresses high class and vice versa. Like, yeah, I don't have a ton of details about it, but it is historically a real thing. 
this um, is the only part of the movie where I felt any real joy until <laughs> the song ends and it goes bad again. Um, but it, I was saying when we were watching it, I want to be at the Festival of Fools. I'm with Quasimodo. It's amazing good fun. It does look like a party. Yep. My first Disney crush is there. <laughs> I'll mention it now and I won't mention it again. Um, <laughs> the guy who sings the first song, Bells of Notre Dame, and also the Topsy Turvy Day song, mm. is a jester. His name is Clopin. Clopin? Clopin? And Clopin was my first Disney crush. And you might be thinking, he looks really scabby. <laughs> and he looks quite old. And there's not all his teeth are there. And to that I say, one, I still would. I'm sorry. And two, the heart wants what the heart wants. There's something about him. It's and got... I think it's partly because the festival looks so great. He's put on a really good party. Yep, and he's the narrator, so he's very knowledgeable. He's a fun guy. Apart from when he's not, like, sometimes he seems a bit evil. He does seem deeply <laughs> evil occasionally. But, you know... But aren't we all... Yeah. Uh, he does seem like a lot of fun. During this sequence, we meet our... One of our other protagonists, Esmeralda. Um, who is dancing for money. Like, busking, basically. Yeah. At the festival. Um, and, and she does magic tricks. Yes. And she has a fun goat who I hate. Yep. She's got a charming and a little companion who doesn't also doesn't need to be in this movie. 100% unnecessary. Yeah. It's a goat. The goat doesn't talk. I think the goat has a name, but I don't care what it is. And the goat belongs in the category of the gargoyles. Please be. Less annoying because the goat does not speak. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> they could have had that goat voiced by Jerry Seinfeld. I'm glad they didn't. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, things turn sour at the Festival of Fools. Quasimodo snuck down. Um, and he's initially having a great time, but then he is crowned as the ugliest man at the festival. People think he's wearing a mask, but he isn't. Mm-hmm. And then he's publicly ridiculed, receives his crown, and then is strapped down to a spinning cartwheel and twisted around and pelted with oranges. And no, they're not, he's not even. It's tomatoes is what he's pelted with. Yeah. It's, it's really very scary. Yeah. Um, it's really disorienting. Because it's all going very well, and then suddenly he's being, like, tied down and, and pelted with rotten fruit. Um, it, it, yeah, it kind of comes out of nowhere, and then it's suddenly horrifying after this, yeah. like, fun and magical scene. Yeah. Um, the people of the town, town, city, Paris, Paris, people of Paris turn on him. That's the thing with these town pe- townspeople, Shannon. <laughs> townspeople are in equal parts, good and pure, and evil and terrible. Yeah, depending on what the tone of the scene demands. Have you seen Beauty and the Beast? Because they're all very nice and, and collegiate and friendly mm-hmm. at the beginning, and then they're like, kill the beast, with racists mm-hmm. okay well they're not being racist but you, they probably are as well you can just tell from the way that they're being in hunchback of notre dame yeah they're the i guess they're just the mob so they sort of turn the mood turns very easily they're a capricious crowd they are mercurial mm-hmm. um <laughs> so then esmeralda 
hops up onto the, the spinning wheel and frees Quasimodo. But oh, wait, sacrebleu, Frollo is there. Important point, though. Esmeralda has danced for the crowd before this has happened, um, and Frollo has had some sort of existential crisis as this is happening. Yeah. Um, I always thought Frollo was a priest in my memory. He's Me not. Is it because he's hanging around in a cathedral so much. And because his song later, which we'll definitely talk about, Mm-hmm. Um, he's talking about being righteous and pure and, and that sort of thing. So I always assumed he was clergy. Uh, but he actually works in law enforcement. He's a judge. And I'm Javert. <laughs> Do not forget my name. Victor Hugo had some issues. And that's fine. I also hate Frollo. <laughs> and I also hate Javert. Yeah. I'm not a pro-Javert Les Mis watcher. Who is pro-Javert? Or as I like to call him, Javit. <laughs> Jeanville, you got Jeanville Jean. <laughs> and he's a bread thief, but he's cool. Uh, you got Javit. Yeah. Evil bad cop. Yep. And Frollo is of his ilk. Bad cop. You've got EpiPen. Tragic <laughs> heroin. <laughs> You've got Closet. Boring heroin. <laughs> You've got Fanta. Her mum. Jokes that you won't get if you've not seen Lamers, <laughs> and you probably won't like if you even do know Lamers. <laughs> you got Marriott Hotel chain, <laughs> who's in love with Closet. I can't do any more. We'll move right along from this bit. <laughs> but that is to say that there's that they're very similar characters across the board. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Frollo freaks out and he wants Esmeralda dead because she has freed Cosimodo. And called him out. Also, not the only reason Frollo wants her dead. Mm-hmm. He has bad feelings. <laughs> she has awakened lust. For the most evil thing a person could do. Yeah. Um, so, she, yeah. She's he, pretty and Frollo's not about it. Cosimodo uh, uh, is sent back up to the bell tower. Esmeralda... Gets away. Gets away and then just goes into Notre Dame. For sanctuary, because it's a church. Not at first. She goes in there just to look around. And Mm. then when she is caught by Frollo, she's like, ah, sanctuary, lol. Mm -hmm. Here's a fun fact. If you go into any church, no matter what crime you do, no matter what people, who's after you, anyone, everyone respects this rule. You go into the church and shout sanctuary. People are like, all right, chill. Truce. We'll call a truce. I do this all the time. On on the daily. Yeah, I rob a bank. This is like the best thing you can do. Here's what you do. You find a bank right next to a church. Rob the bank. Very quickly run into the church. You're surrounded by the police. You shout, Sanctuary, and you're like... And and they're like, oh, right. She's called Sanctuary. And then you call us and let us know how that went. Yeah. Yeah, so... The the, people need to know. Give it a go. It's gonna work. Um... It's a good way to spend your time if you're working from home. Just walk to the, your local bank. No one will even see you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what happens. Esmeralda is then trapped effectively inside Notre Dame and strikes up a friendship. But nothing more, just a friendship. With Quasimodo. Yeah. And then what even happens? Um, so also during this time we've met Phoebus, who is the new captain of the guards. Oh, yes. Who has helped Esmeralda evade capture a couple of times at this point. 
um, and has had clunky, terrible banter with her while they whilst sword fighting. Yeah. Um, he looks like a medieval he-man. He does a little, yeah. He looks very out of place in the story. Like, his costuming and everything, he looks yeah. very different. His color palette's different than all the other characters. Yeah. Now, here's where things get weird, though. Well, okay, here's where things continue to be weird, but get worse. Is, um, how to say this? He's been called in by Frollo to help with genocide. Yeah. That is what's happening there. Yeah. So, Phoebus was a soldier, because he says that he was called back from the wars. Yes. To be the captain of the guard in Paris, to help with Frollo's plan to rid the city of the travelers. Yes. Of which Esmeralda is one. Yes. And this is only spurred on by the fact that uh, Frollo has um, got a thing for Esmeralda now. Yeah. And is conflicted by this. And because she's awakening dirty thoughts in his mind, uh, he wants her dead. Yeah. And everyone in her community. Yeah. And that is Phoebus's plot line, is that he's been hired to help with this. To help a genocide. And, like, it's not even really just implied. Like, Frollo straight up says it. Yeah. Yes, he's explaining this to Phoebus. He's, there's, there are, on a balcony, and there's, like, flies crawling across the stone banister. Yeah. And Frollo is crushing them under his hand, and then he picks up the stone, and there's a bunch of little flies crawling under the stone, and as he says, like, as Phoebe says, what do you want me to do with them? Frollo smashes the stone on all the flies, and yeah. they all die. And it's horrific. And this is, I think, where I started to slightly astral project. Yeah. And maybe why I don't remember a lot of this stuff as a kid. Well, because they're really overt about it. It's not even like, oh, there's a secret hidden genocide subplot. No, this is just the subplot. It is the subplot, but it it's couched in just enough metaphor that if you're young enough, you're not going to quite understand what he wants. No. And you know that it's bad, but it's... Like, I think it, it's overt enough to be terrifying. Yeah. But not... The the scope of it is not quite obvious, I don't think, to anyone in the normal demographic for these sort of Disney movies. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the younger end of the Disney demographic, yeah. I guess. Because it's quite a broad spectrum of, of age groups they're hitting. But if you're, like, six or seven, which is how old I was when I watched this for the first time. Yeah. It's... It's kind of unclear what Frollo's up to. Yeah. Initially. And then, yes. As an <laughs> adult, you watch in the scene and you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. But as a kid, I like, I think that probably would have gone right over my head. Like, I don't... It's not good, but... Yeah, you don't truly, like, twig onto it. Um, at this point in the movie, Frollo sings his song Hellfire, which we'll talk about later when we talk about songs. Mm-hmm. Um... But this is kind of like the big turning point for him because halfway through that song, he finds out that Esmeralda has escaped Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. So he then can't go and like either kill her or have sex with her, whatever he chooses to do. Yeah. And then he's like, 
well, guess I'll burn all of Paris then. Yep. Rest in peace to Paris. Yeah. Because I'm angry. Yep. It's terrifying. It is. It's really scary. And it starts then immediately. He starts rounding up travelers mm-hmm. and anyone who has helped or talked to them. Yeah. And it's a bit of a, like it's a montage for a bit of just all these horrific things happening. And then it stops as he's at this little house on the edge of town underneath a windmill. Oh my god, this scene. <sighs> um, I think I died a little bit yesterday. Yeah. It was this scene. There's a, there's a family in the house, and Frollo's asking them if they helped, I think Esmeralda specifically, yeah. um, and the man says, our doors are always open to weary travelers, please, we have mercy, we didn't know these were like enemies of the state, yeah. or whatever it is Frollo's saying they are. And Frollo's like, of course, I understand, but you're under house arrest. Until we can get to the bottom of this. Yeah. And then he leaves the house, shuts the door, and he hands a burning torch to Phoebus and says, set the roof on fire. It's like a thatched roof. Mm-hmm. Set the house on fire. And Phoebus is like, what? He's like, set it on fire. And Phoebus says no mm-hmm. and throws the torch aside and um, Frollo picks up another torch and lights the roof of the house on fire. Yeah, and the house very quickly fully catches on fire and we're like, oh, okay. And so does the windmill beside family. it. Yeah, it's like, okay, Disney just did this murder. Uh, Phoebus then bursts into the house and gets the family out. Yeah. But it's very tense and scary for a few yeah. moments there. Horrifying imagery. Horrifying implications. And and then as you see the next, there's a lot of objectively gorgeous wide shots of Paris. Yeah. But the next wide shot of Paris, the city is on fire. All of Paris is wrecked. Yeah. Bits of, there's smoke, just pl- plumes of smoke from all over the city. Apart from Notre Dame. Yeah. No comment? Not at this time. Uh, Quasimodo, oh, this is the bit, this is the bit that really sent us, I think. Is it? Yes, because Esmeralda's gone, the city's on fire, Quasimodo is feeling dejected. Oh, yes it is. Um, because he thinks that Phoebus might have more of a chance with Esmeralda, and plus, he also wants to save Esmeralda and stop this, this, uh, this here burning of the city. Um... So this is like obviously a very like tense and heartfelt moment. Maybe a character song, maybe some big heroic song. No, no. This is the time for the comedy relief characters, the gargoyles, to to do not only the most totally inappropriate mm-hmm. song with jokes about executions, burning, and other things, but also suggest that Quasimodo should go after Esmeralda because there's a chance she might like him romantically back and that that should be his motivation and then it becomes his motivation. Ah! <sighs> it's also not a good sounding song. I don't even know what it's called. I don't either. I don't remember any of the lyrics from it. It's really bad for a lot of reasons. Number one, it's totally just out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, and the comedy characters sing it and it's stupid. But also, the general message of the song is, okay, like, let's just set aside that the romance bit is kind of inappropriate. Yeah. I think we can deal with that separately. We can deal with that separately. But 
imagining that this was a romantic plot and that was fine. The, the premise of the song is she'll like you, you look unique, you don't have to look symmetrical and classically handsome for people to like you, you're one of a kind. That comes up a lot. That's not a bad message for kids. That's nice. Yeah. But it doesn't make sense in this movie because Quasimodo and Esmeralda do not end up together in this movie. So this whole song where they're like, you're unique, anyone will be lucky to be with you, um, the way you look is special regardless of whether or not it is classically handsome, all of these objectively fine messages for children regardless of the stupid way they're sung in this very weird song yeah don't play well in a movie where quasimodo doesn't get the girl yeah it completely undercuts the entire message of the song it undercuts quasimodo's arc i think it undercuts phoebus's arc yeah because it sets him up to be a bad guy when objectively he is a hero yeah he makes the right call. He yeah. says no to Frollo. He helps Esmeralda. He helps Quasimodo. But then suddenly Quasimodo and Phoebus are set up as enemies, which they shouldn't be. Yeah. Or rivals, I guess. Mm-hmm. Quasimodo's like romantic interest in Esmeralda starts in this song. Like, it's not really... It's not in the bits of the movie where they interact yeah. before this song. And their conversations beforehand seem very friend-like to me. Mm-hmm. It seems like fun platonic times. But the song is just the stupidest of all ca- character comedy songs. Yeah. Um, it's really very bad. At the beginning, one of the car- one of the gargoyles is, is uh, roasting, like frying a sausage by dangling it off the balcony and the flames of which Paris are burning. Like... Uh, roasting the sausage and he says something like uh, the city is glowing and not just because it's on fire yeah Duh, don't make that joke yeah <laughs> and that's like super indicative of the way the comic relief characters operate in this movie where something horrific happens and they make like a dumb joke yeah and you're like no <laughs> yeah don't do this don't do it and it's not that dark comedy is bad but it's not dark comedy it's dumb comedy in a dark film mm. so it just feels wrong and really flippant too it's like oh it's a past so it's fine to make these jokes but there's a a, a, a joke in this song where um quasimodo makes these little models they're like a model of the town and the gargoyles are playing with that and like uh like hanging some characters on a, a hanging uh on a scaffold that's it scaffold and it's quite disturbing because mm-hmm. it's like hanging imagery. Mm-hmm. And then it's all for the pun, she'll leave you dangling. Yeah. No. 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 <laughs> and then they're playing poker. And then they're at a barbershop. What? Yeah, everything that happens. It's got a similar... Okay. Not to compare the two because I think one is much better than the other. But like the way the aesthetics of it work is very much like Friend Like Me from Aladdin. Yeah. Aladdin is a much more light-hearted film yeah. than this one. Well, because when the genie is singing Friend Like Me, it isn't with the backdrop of there being a genocide in the background yeah, happening no as we speak. City on fire as, yep. you know, Robin Williams is hamming it up in Aladdin. But imagine <laughs> that level of, like, 
zany scene changes and all the gargoyles being dressed up in like barbershop at a at a blackjack table but <laughs> with Paris on fire yeah as Quasimodo is trying to decide whether or not he's going to help stop a genocide because it might help his chances with a girl yep and you know what the opposite of this is i was thinking the exact opposite of this is go with me on this okay um in Mulan mm. when they're Going off to battle, but they're walking and they're singing A Girl Worth Fighting For. Mm -hmm. That's a comedy song. All of the side characters get like a little bit where, yeah. you know, and Mulan's trying to be like, respect women. Yeah. But like, it's a really funny song and it's a character piece. Yeah. And then the song like completely stops because they go over a hill and they see that a, a village has been raised to the ground. Implication that a little girl has died because this doll that has been used as a metaphor throughout is like charred off the ground yes that's how you do it if you want to have both vibes in a movie mm -hmm. have it be like the good vibes quickly being cut short mm -hmm. you know what would have been bad is if they just kept on singing that song while walking through the charred village <laughs> and that's what the Hunchback of Notre Dame does <laughs> no I fully agree with you I think that the tone balance is way off <laughs> and I think it's because the source material is inappropriate for children <laughs> again disney why why did you do this why were you like well take this adult novel and it's not even it's not even like it's a fable like i get that there's a level of sanitation to the disney fairy tales like the disney cinderella doesn't have the stepsisters cutting off their toes to fit yeah. in the shoe and that's okay. Like, it's okay to pitch a version of a story to a certain demographic. Um, but, like, why Hunchback of Notre Dame? Yeah. What about it seems conducive to turning into an animated children's film? And it's not that, like, children's films can't deal with heavy issues, like you mentioned, Mulan, I think, does a very good job of dealing with some heavy stuff. Mm. It knows when to play its cards. Exactly. But Hunchback of Notre Dame only has cards that are genocide. You could say it only has cards against humanity. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. And the movie doesn't pick up from this either, like... Quasimodo finds Phoebus and says, I'm going to help you find Esmeralda. They have a talisman and it's actually a secret map of the city and they find the... the Court sort of, of Miracles. Court of Miracles, which is like a secret like set of tunnels and a hangout for, for the travel folk. Uh, and we meet my boy, Clopin again. <laughs> um, and he's scary in the scene because he's about to hang them. Yeah, he fully threatens to hang Phoebus and He threatens Quasimodo. to hang them in a really fun way. He is fun. But he still threatens to hang them. See, we're still kind of getting our, like, morally ambiguous character okay. that we're endorsing. Yeah. This podcast endorses Clopin. We do not endorse we Frollo. do not endorse Frollo. We can't no. stress that enough. We can't. We can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Esmeralda shows up and it's all alright. She's like, uh, no, it's alright. They're chill. And they're like, yeah, we're chill. Don't hang us. But before they can even do anything or plan anything, Frollo turns up 
And arrests everyone. And then uh, decides what he's going to do is burn Esmeralda at the stake. And chains up Quasimodo in the bell tower at Notre Dame, overlooking the square where this burning is happening. It's burning at the stake, right? It's not hanging. Burning at the stake. Yeah. Yeah, she's about to get burned at the stake. Um, And hey, we've got the townspeople. They're back and they're out for blood. Yep. The mob has returned. And then Quasimodo breaks free of his chains and saves Esmeralda and brings her back to Notre Dame and is like holding her. She's fainted. Mm-hmm. Holding her above his head, shouting, Sanctuary. Um, I don't know what happens after this one. Phoebus does something to help, I, I think. Um, oh, yeah, okay, here's, okay, here's what happens. Mm. Frollo... Okay, first of all, there's a really cool effect where I think to, like, protect the cathedral, they burn some of the bells? They burn some metal, and there's molten metal pouring out of the windows of the Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. It looks cool. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. It does look cool. And I'm not endorsing anyone trying to do that in real life. It looks... It's a little more haunting from the year 2020 than it was from the year that this was we made. We were just saying last night, even though it looks really cool, that whole scene hits different now. Yeah. But it looks really cool. It does. Um, so Frollo, somehow, even though it looks like he's been hit by, Melton, by molten metal, somehow evades that and goes up and is about to kill everyone, about to do some stabbing in the chase. Anyway, we get to a point where... They trip over the edge. So Esmeralda is at the top holding Quasimodo. Quasimodo is holding Frollo. And then Frollo then sort of gets purchased on another bit, another gargoyle and then falls down to his death in the fire of his own volition. Yeah. Why was Quasimodo even trying to hold on to Frollo? Why not just... Like, because he was at risk there of, yeah. like, dropping not only himself, but also Esmeralda, potentially Phoebus, I can't remember. But, like, why say, why say Frollo? But it's fine, he dies anyway. We have this moment that we mentioned in the Snow White episode, and that does come up a lot in not just Disney films, children's films in general, where they want to get rid of the villain, but they don't want the hero to have to kill them, but they do want the villain dead. Yeah. So Frollo just falls into the lava because the the gargoyle he's hanging on to breaks. Yeah. Um. This is this happens in The Lion King. This happens in Snow White. It happens in Beauty and the Beast. It happens in Beauty and the Beast. Um. The villain just kind of conveniently dies without the hero doing anything wrong. If the movie was gonna already be this cursed and inappropriate for children. <laughs> I'm not calling it as a cursed. I'm just saying it has cursed elements for sure. Yep. Why not just have Quasimodo let Frollo fall? Why is this where you draw the line? Exactly. To recap, in this movie we've had ethnic genocide. We've had arson of an entire city. We have had perversion. We have had misogyny. We have had hangings. We've had ableism throughout. Throughout. Family murdering. Yeah. Attempted family murdering. The, the drowning a baby. Yeah. Yeah. There's the, there's a lot of lines this movie does cross, and it's interesting that the line that 
they won't is that they won't let Quasimodo make a morally ambiguous decision yeah. and let Frodo fall. Yeah. Frodo. Frollo. <laughs> <laughs> and let Frollo fall. And let Javert fall into the Seine. This I swear by the stars. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, sorry. No, 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 go ahead. No, I've not finished. I was going to go off the plot, but you finished. So was I. The rest of the plot. The rest of the plot is that uh, the townspeople completely change their mind and they, they love Cosimodo and uh, Esmeralda and Phoebus end up together. Uh, what makes a monster? What makes a man? The bells, 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 the bells of Notre Dame. The end. Yes. So, you might be thinking that we didn't like the movie based on all of the stuff we just said for 48 minutes. <laughs> I did have a good time. Yeah. I, the Bells of Notre Dame, Out There, and Hellfire are really good songs. Yeah. The music is gorgeous. Yeah. And thematically, like, ooh, the, yeah. the riff that keeps on returning through the songs. The, mm. Hellfire. Sometimes it's minor key, sometimes it's major key. Like when it switches to major key at the end of the Bells of Notre Dame. Ooh, I transcended. There's a riff that goes in the background of a lot of songs where it's like um, almost like a church choir singing Kyrie Eleison, which um, anyone who's been to a Catholic Mass around Easter time would know that it means Lord have mercy. So Frollo will do things and you can hear the choir in the background go, Lord have mercy. And that's really fantastic. Like yeah. It's really stirring every time it happens. And most of those songs that we've met, well, all the songs that we've mentioned and some of the other songs that are just forgettable have amazing, like, I guess, choreography, if you can call an animated movie choreography. Like in Hellfire, like, he's singing in an empty hall to his fireplace and Esmeralda is kind of appearing in the flames and in the smoke mm-hmm. and then he sort of like hallucinates these like monks monks in like haunting like red cloaks just staring at him and then when he that song is i think my favorite in yeah. the movie it's my favorite disney villain song because yeah. it's the most chilling yeah and it, he's it the is, naughtiest boy of disney he is it's true it's the only disney villain we can't endorse that's so a far. bold claim so far <laughs> what about Sharpay from High School Musical? Can you endorse her? Is she Disney? Yeah. Oh, Disney. yeah, it's the Disney Channel. Yeah. Okay. That I'm thinking a... just Disney animated. But yeah, he's awful. But then that's undercut with, because after he sings Hellfire, the next scene, he's stepping out of a carriage and someone's like, mm, what's up, Frodo? You don't look too good. And he was like, oh, uh, I'll, problems with my fireplace. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and the animation in this movie is to die for. It's stunning. Visit Paris, everyone. Yeah, the the colours, the, the way they use the architecture... And the way they animated Notre Dame, like, I, I've, I'm i sure you have as well. I've been to Notre Dame. I've been there. I had a really um, nice chicken sandwich outside of it. <laughs> I stood outside, got sent away, had to buy a scarf to cover my naked shoulders, and then I was allowed to go back inside. Oh, you did? It was a heat wave in Paris, and my shoulders offended God. Oh. Um, I was raised Catholic. I'm allowed to make that joke. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go get a scarf to put over my... my I had a oh, tank okay. top on because yeah. I was... Like a hundred degrees. Yeah. Um, but it did eventually go in. But all the statuary and 
um, just the way the inside and the outside look, it's all correct. Like, yeah. it's actually Notre Dame. Like, there's a bit where Quasimodo is sitting beside the statue of St. Dennis with the head under his arm. And mm-hmm. I remember, like, standing there with, with Hannah, like, taking a photo of that statue yeah. exactly where it is in the movie. Um, so, like, the detail. And I, I know we've done other Disney movies, and we've often mentioned how sparse the background is, and that's not Shout the case Shout out to here. Emperor's New Groove. <laughs> Emperor's New Groove and Snow White. Yeah. Remember we mentioned there were, like, 12 people who lived in that kingdom? <laughs> Like, Paris is populated. And the members of the crowd all look different. Okay, challenge. Watch Frozen. In the first Frozen... I can't speak for the second one. Although the second one has been released early on Disney+. Plus. I'm not endorsing it. I'm just saying it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, what was I saying? Yeah, Frozen 1. There are only four people that exist. I'm talking skinny woman, larger woman. Skinny man, larger man, all of different races, but the exact same shape. Interesting. And the exact same costume, but different colours. Mm-hmm. So if you mix up, the, there's four different people, and they have different skin tones, and they're wearing slightly different coloured dresses and shirts and stuff, you have a bunch, it looks like variety, but you pause the scene, and it's the exact same people. So what is going on with Arendelle? Hmm. But that's not the case in this movie. No, it's not. In the topsy-turvy scene, there's so many people at the the Feast of Fools, Festival of Fools, mm-hmm. um, and in the mob scenes, it feels like the city is overflowing with people. Yeah. Which is great. It feels so alive, and the setting, and occasionally it'll like pan up to the stars and the, just all the vistas are gorgeous. Yeah, the sky is never the same each evening mm-hmm. of the show. It's lovely and the streets look amazing. And just the architecture of the, I know I've mentioned it, but like of the cathedral. So Quasimodo primarily hangs out externally of Notre Dame. like, mm-hmm. And he hangs around and like sings on the flying buttresses mm-hmm. and he's clambering all the gargoyles. And you know that the design team had a great time. Mm-hmm. You know that they did they did some research. They all went to Notre Dame mm-hmm. and went all the way around Notre Dame and mm-hmm. like and like having been to the top of cathedrals before. Mm-hmm. Not to brag, I've been to the top of cathedrals. <laughs> <laughs> um, it looks like that when you're standing up there. Yeah, it's so cool, and I don't think you have to be. Christian or have a vested interest in churches to to find these scenes stunning in this movie. Yeah, I agree. And it doesn't stop being beautiful throughout. Like, the movie is, everything's visually engaging. And the music is mostly good apart from that one song. Yeah. So, it's, again, really weird tonally when so much of this movie is out of whack. Yeah. (laughs) So much of it is... Beautiful. And so much of it, like, Hellfire is, I think, the best Disney villain song. Mm. Is and it your favorite song in this uh, movie? Like, I'm always torn between that and The Bells of Notre Dame. Yeah. Because it's such a good it opening. so epic. It is. And to the point where, like, when I was standing in front of Notre Dame for the first time, I could like hear the song in my head yeah. like when I heard the bells ringing in Paris that was the first thing that came to mind like it's so memorable um it's 
Yeah, I think it's hard to pick, and the fact that it's hard to pick speaks to how good the music is. Yeah. What's your favorite song in it? I think The Bells of Notre Dame, mm-hmm. just because, like, it's one of those few Disney songs that, like, music, like, lyric, forget, forget the lyrics, musically alone, like, gets me. Mm. And that so rarely happens. Mm. With musicals, like, stage musicals, it often does, because maybe they're better mm-hmm. but like with Disney Lion King this has happened mm-hmm. and here it's happened yeah and it's like you know the bit it's right at the end um mm-hmm. with the line the bells of Notre Dame and then the ah becomes ah and it's it turns into a, mm-hmm. the major key mm-hmm. and then we go up we pan up through all the bells and it spans across the whole of Paris and I'm like yes I'm ready, but I'm not ready. Yeah. <laughs> the movie immediately gets disturbing, but you're right. Like, it's such a great opening. Mm. Like, I was hyped by the end of that opening. Why is Demi always going for the opening songs? <laughs> because this movie is all the closing ones. Yeah. No, well, when we watch, yeah, when we do musicals, I'm always like, either it's most of the opening song, mm-hmm. sometimes the end. I think the only end song is. I think I like. Actually, no, I'm not even sure what my favorite one was for Greece. Mm. It might have been. Well, it wasn't Greece is the word. I mean, whatever. I think you said there was summer loving, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is an opening song. But let's see for cats. It Jellicle songs for Jellicle cats. Opening mm. song. You got if you just set the set the right scene at the beginning, you've got me. And setting the tone is so important. Mm. I think the reason I like Hellfire is it's you can kind of watch it on its own almost and you get like the whole story of the villain right there mm-hmm. um and visually it it's really cool like yeah. esmeralda dancing in the fire um and the the way the music kind of incorporates these sounds like a church choir with these like really horrifying lyrics mm-hmm. as he's trying to use religion to justify his own villainy. Mm-hmm. Um, as he one's like, he, you made the devil so much stronger than a man. And then in the background you get the like, ah, oh, of like a church choir singing. Yeah. I think it's really cool mm-hmm. um, the way the, the layers of that song reflect the conflict in the music in the lyrics yeah yeah um and it is scary like i think it's still chilling now and Mm -hmm. very few other disney villain songs still chill me almost more chilling now yeah yeah because not to get dark or nothing (laughs) but i think when i was watching that as a kid i knew it was scary and i knew the implications were bad but i hadn't because I wasn't an adult woman then, like, mm. fully experienced, like, predatory men. Yeah. And I was lucky, because that does happen to kids. But, like, like now, I'm like, hmm. Yeah. That happens. It does. Like, the more, the older I get, the more. Like, I... when he sniffs her hair. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I hate Frollo. Yeah. And when he, the the bit as the music is building and the the choir in the background is chanting in Latin, um, and he's singing like it's not my fault, I'm not to blame. 
like in is blaming it all on Esmeralda yeah. for being beautiful. This is why he wants to um to kill her. Yeah. It's so scary. Um and I know I'm saying that as praise while also being like this movie is totally inappropriate for children. Um but I think the totally inappropriate if if Disney are going to do this movie and they're going to go all in for the fact they're doing a Victor Hugo, sure they're sanitizing some stuff, but there's a lot that they're not. Mhm. If they're gonna go all in, Hellfire is fine. Yeah. What is not fine is the gargoyles. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Because if you're gonna go all in, then the bits of levity are like the Festival of Fools. Mm-hmm. Um, or the you know the bright colors, the dances, the songs are all very upbeat and interesting. But you don't need these kind of pandery slapstick comedy relief characters because they do just feel weird yeah um who's your favorite character in this then i think esmeralda Mm, esmeralda's fun yeah what about you e the thing is (laughs) (laughs) i won't judge you i promise the thing is i love this jester yeah (laughs) (laughs) i know i shouldn't i know i know he's not all there morally and I, I know he's too old for me. <laughs> but, like, okay, sound off in the comments. Who was your Disney crush? <laughs> Some too many, pe- too many people say Robin Hood, Fox Robin Hood. So many people say Fox Robin Hood. And if you're... There's enough people out there that statistically someone's listening in right now who had a thing for Fox Robin Hood. Uh, you do you. Yeah. You do you. That's it makes true. me feel less bad about the jester. Yeah. Uh, Mine was Nani's boyfriend in Lilo and Stitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, <laughs> he's good. He's good. He's great. There's attractive characters who are boring, and that's the problem. Mm. Uh, in early Disney. Like, um, both Sleeping Beauty and the prince. Mm-hmm. Like, the style makes them look very attractive. Especially the prince's costume. I just want to be wearing it. Mm. With a little hat, with a little feather. Love that. It's a good hat. Um, but they're really boring. Yeah. Uh, Prince Eric, attractive, very boring. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but yeah, Esmeralda is very attractive. Yeah. Um, I agree. Yeah. So I think and unfo- she's not boring. She's not boring. She's she's Got she's fun. On. She's funny. She can do magic tricks, not real magic. Yeah. Um, she can do combat without being like. That being necessarily gimmicky, although there are some sort of gimmicky jokes about it with her and Phoebus. Shannon, do you think this movie was cursed, blurst, or blessed? I'm going to give it a blurst, and I I wavered throughout the movie between blurst and cursed, because some elements of it are quite cursed, and a lot of elements are very disturbing. Um, But I think the hallmark of a, a blurst is that there's blessed and cursed elements of it. They're redeeming enough qualities. And what's good about this movie is really good. Yeah. And if the animation and the music wasn't there, I think it would have been accursed for me. Mm-hmm. But it like it the artistry is so there throughout yeah. the whole thing that it, it's hard to to call it cursed when there's so much that's good about it and what is good is done fabulously yeah what do you think uh the same i was saying yesterday it's blurs but it's 
walking a, a very <laughs> incredibly thin line. Yeah. Um, but I was thinking, like, uh, I think it's okay for kids to see. Mm-hmm. I feel like if I was, say, babysitting and it was on TV and the kids wanted to watch it, I would maybe, like, pause it at times to be like, you realise why this, is, this bit is bad, right? Mm-hmm. You realise why this is bad. And as long as I understand, it's not going over their heads. But, like, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's blurst. I think it's an interesting one. It's one of the... So this is the opposite of Twilight last week, which is, I think... Okay, that wasn't a blurst movie. But, like, what made it interesting was the cultural stuff around mm-hmm. Twilight. Because the movie itself is quite boring. I yeah. don't know. But this movie... I was engaged mm-hmm. and often rattled, mm-hmm. um, but often just like actually moved by the music mm-hmm. and the uh, the animation. So I yeah. think it's a, an interesting case, but I think it's definitely a blast. I agree. And I was listening to the music all day at work today. Mm-hmm. We were watching it last night. Like it's been in my head. Um, yeah, it is. It's an odd movie because you can almost feel the writers trying to like lighten the mood yeah but in really ham-handed ways mm-hmm. like if you just sort of spliced timon and pumbaa into les mis <laughs> <laughs> they don't les mis already has t- the tenardiers yeah who are like who are totally appropriate comic relief for that they're the sort story. of bastards that would exist in that universe yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I almost wish the movie had gone more in on Clopin as mm-hmm. comic relief. Like, he's interesting and kind of evil sometimes, but just ditch the gargoyles and yeah. make him, like, a more intrusive narrator. Like, Kuzco in The Emperor's New Groove, he's kind of talking over bits of the events yeah. or something like that. And he could add that levity without not belonging in the story. Yes. Yes. I agree. That would we should fix Hunchback, mm-hmm. and that would be a good thing to add and make Quasimodo's motivation not that he's into Esmeralda, but that he would like to stop Paris from being set on fire, and have him kill Frollo, and not necessarily frame it either way. Just have him kill him. Yeah, or just let go of his hand. Yeah, which is not the same thing as murder because he is mm-hmm. also saving himself, Esmeralda. Ah, such a moral quandary. Yeah. Um, well, next week we are watching... Oh, I'm really excited about next week. I just remembered it's another Double Danger, Double Dip and Dare. Yes, Shannon, it is. Describe what we're doing. Um, so we're watching what we think is a very two different generations... Of the same exact film. Of the same film. So we're going to watch Heathers, the film... Not the musical and Mean Girls. Mm-hmm. Um, mean Girls was from our childhood. Yep. Heather's was from before our time. I haven't seen Heather's. Have you? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> with Winona Ryder, right? Yeah, I've who seen I'm, it. Who I'm a big fan of. Uh, I was a big fan of Mean Girls when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Big fan of Mean Girls. Uh, big fan of Tina Fey. Uh, now they're both musicals. Yeah, they are. I've seen Heather's the musical. Mm. I have. I've seen it live, and I've just listened to the album. I think. And just spoiler alert. I think this is a case where 
you might find that the head of the musical is a lot better than the head of the film, <laughs> and that the reverse applies to the Mean Girls musical. Interesting, interesting. I'm going to try and listen to the Mean Girls musical album before we watch uh, both movies, but I am really yeah. looking forward to this. I think it'll be interesting. I find it thematically, because the links between the two stories are very clear. It's funny with the musicals, too, because the actress who plays Veronica in the musical Heathers is Janice in the musical Mean Girls. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. It's weird, isn't it? Oh, we're going to talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so tune in for that. In the meantime. In the Mean Girls time. Uh, In the meantime. um, You can check us out on the social media. You can listen to our dulcet tones. There's hours upon hours of content now. Mm-hmm. More than, think about this, more than 17 hours. Wow. When this movie, when this podcast is released, of us chit chat, chit chattering. Mm-hmm. Do you want that in your lives when you're working from home? Yeah, of course you do. Yeah. Yeah. Why wouldn't you? No brainer. <laughs> so, <laughs> stay tuned because we, 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 uh, Continuing to, to produce content. Mm-hmm. Thanks for tuning in. Like, uh, share, and subscribe. Are we going to make some bell noises to see, see it out? Oh. Oh. Mm. Shannon here. So I actually decided to Google The Hunchback of Notre Dame the book instead of just guessing what might be in it. Um, and turns out Disney did in fact sanitize quite a lot of it. Uh, just I'm gonna hit some of the highlights. Quasimodo helps Frollo kidnap Esmeralda, who is 16 in the book. Quasimodo is at one point left to die in the street and Esmeralda saves him. Esmeralda is hanged at the end. Quasimodo throws Frollo off the bell tower, and Quasimodo finds Esmeralda's body in a charnel house and dies beside her. Um, so yeah, Disney did uh, quite a lot of, of editing, turns out. And sometimes you shouldn't just guess the plots of books without doing any research whatsoever. What was your degree again? Uh, <laughs> botany. <laughs>